Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast. I'm Justin Michael. It is late night, Monday nights when I am recording this. I'm sure it's Tuesday or beyond by the time you are listening to it. But we are certainly in peak off-season mode, folks. This is by far the deadest time of the year as far as content creation goes. So we're going we're gonna to go peak off-season, and we are going to do a list. We're going to rank something, and that something is the top 10 quarterbacks in the history of the Mountain West. I was inspired by the 2024 College Football Hall of Fame ballot, which came out earlier today. Kellen Moore was on there, which had me thinking, you know, is he number one on this list? He only played one year in the Mountain West. It was an insane year, but is that enough to elevate him over some of these other guys? I'll talk about kind of what my thought process was with all of that. We'll get into all of it here momentarily. But just briefly, I did want to bring up the Team Ram Up alumni game, Team Ram Up, the Colorado State alumni group representing CSU in TBT, the basketball tournament. Last year was their first year. This year, they've got a pretty intriguing squad. You can see them compete against each other on July 16th at Moby Arena. It will be at 6 p.m. Team Jason Smith versus Team David Roddy. There's going to be a dunk contest, a three-point shootout. Should be a really good time. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Tickets are available at ramupalumnigameticketleap.com. You can also find the link if you just go to the CSU Men's Basketball Twitter page or Team Ramup on Twitter. Their handle is at ramuptbt. But I just wanted to make sure that I brought that up so that you guys don't miss out. Um, It's not an advertisement or anything. I'm not officially a part of this or anything like that. I just think it's really cool to have a CSU group participating in TBT. I've gotten to know Derek Stevens a little bit these past couple of years. He's a really cool guy. I think what he is doing is big time, certainly working really hard. But also, I obviously covered a lot of these players, whether it's Chris Martin, Nico Carvacho, JD, Prentice Nixon, Chandler Jacobs, etc. You get it. Anyways, team ram up. Really cool idea. They're working really hard to, you know, be active among CSU alumni to bring the community together and to create something that allows these former players to kind of stay connected with CSU even after their playing days are done. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to get into this list. If you're curious, there were not any CSU Rams on the 2024 ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, In order to be eligible, a player must have received first-team All-America recognition by a selector that is recognized by the NCAA. That means not something like pro football focus. 
A player becomes eligible for consideration by the foundation's honors court 10 full seasons after his final year of intercollegiate football. And while their accomplishments on the gridiron are the main focus when it comes to consideration, a player's post-football record as a citizen is also weighed. I've talked about this in the past. It's why Mike Bell, who is widely recognized as one of the greatest defensive players in program history, was an All-American, went on to be productive in the NFL as well. He's not in it, though, because he was arrested for a drug possession. And frankly, I think the whole thing is bullshit because there are plenty of other players that got in but just had more status nationally. And so it didn't matter that they got in trouble off the field. Michael Irvin comes to mind. Or like this year, Mike Vick is on the ballot. How are they going to handle that? To me, by factoring morality into this equation, the whole process becomes just far too subjective because this matters. This matters a lot to these players' legacies. This isn't me doing an off-season top 10 ranking of the Mountain West quarterbacks where you know I might upset some fan bases, but it's not actually going to be attached to their legacy. And, and I'm going off the rails here. I'm going to bring it back, I promise. If players can be kept out despite meeting the criteria statistically, why can't people that came up just shy statistically but impacted the game and its legacy be included? Somebody like Sonny Lubick or Mike Leach, who don't technically meet the winning threshold of a 600 winning percentage of at least 100 games coached. Why can something so subjective as moral standards keep these individuals out but individuals that did great things can't have that elevate them to be put in. It just It's a stupid process. I have a lot of beef with the College Football Hall of Fame. I think there are plenty of people that made it because they went on to be great in the NFL, not necessarily because they were known for starring in college football. I guess they had to be an All-American, so they couldn't have been a scrub. But that's my two cents on this whole situation. The only reason I even brought it up was that the idea of diving into the top 10 quarterbacks in Mountain West history was inspired by the 2024 ballot, which has Kellen Moore on it. So we're going to get into all of that. But real quick, we do have to pay the bills, starting with the homies over at Saturday Neon. Saturday Neon is a company started by two friends and former college roommates. They are Denver-based, and they make some of the sweetest officially licensed neon signs for 19 schools in the country, including CU, CSU, Alabama, Wisconsin, Arizona, Auburn, there's many more. It's great for offices, man caves, dorm rooms, basements, bars, wherever. Maybe a great gift for Father's Day coming up. Check it out at SaturdayNeon.com. Use the code DNVR for 10% off your order, and you get free shipping for orders over $200. Also, you guys know that we love our Breckenridge beers over at DNVR, and it's because Breck Brew has a beer for any occasion. There's no better way to watch a game than having some ice-cold Breck Brew in your hand. And they've been doing it for 32 years, and it all comes down to their love and passion for making good beer. All Breck brews are made with 100% renewable energy, which you've got to love. And you've also just got to love the endless variety that they offer. You can't go wrong with a classic like the Avalanche Amber Ale. So crisp, so refreshing, so versatile. But maybe you want to spice it up a little bit and get a shandy, perfect for chilling in the backyard, or maybe buy a pool. Whatever you're into, Breck Brew has a beer for you. Check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. Cool, cool, cool. I guess let's just dive right on into it here. Um, I kind of talked about this a little bit early on, but there were a lot of factors to consider. Obviously, stats are a big part of this, but to me, it's not all about stats. 
if you were looking purely just at numbers, John Elway is not going to be in the top five quarterbacks of all time. I've never seen anybody as physically gifted when it comes to throwing the football as John Elway. To me, it's not even arguable that he's one of the top five quarterbacks of all time. But that's why this whole process becomes subjective. The eye tests can make things very complicated. And I just want people to understand that there are certain guys that are going to be lower on this list that rank pretty high statistically in Mountain West history, but maybe they didn't elevate their team in the same way that other guys did. Maybe they just weren't as intimidating. Like you didn't fear them as an opposing fan quite as much. The eye test does play a pretty big factor for me. So does just winning the best quarterbacks elevate their team. And while I definitely did consider stats in this process, especially, you know, completion percentage, I think is indicative of a good quarterback touchdown to interception ratio. Do you protect the football total yards? Like these are things you can factor into the equation. It's just not the end all for me. The last thing I want to say before we get into this, I'll probably contradict myself. At the end of the day, when you're trying to make these lists, you're trying to justify your own decisions. So I may use certain rationale to elevate one player and then turn around and use different rationale for another one. I'm certainly trying to keep the whole thing as consistent as possible, or at the very least lay out why I I think the way that I do, but I'm imperfect. I'm a human. And frankly, I've already put way too much time and effort into thinking about all of this. It drives me crazy. I'll go back and forth moving guys because it does matter to me. I do take it seriously. I joked earlier that this type of stuff is irrelevant off-season content and doesn't impact the the legacies of the players like the College Football Hall of Fame, which is true. But I mean, I am taking the time to do this. You're taking the time to listen. I'm certainly trying to get it right. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. I think it's fun to go through college football history like this. I think it's fun to try and compare the different eras. But I'm telling you, once you get into it and you start trying to rank these guys definitively, it's not easy. It's not easy. So let's let's just get into it. Let's start. We're going to start at the top. Usually I go 10 through 1. But I think the top couple of three are fairly set in stone. It's just a matter of what order you would put them in. I put Kellen Moore at number one. He only played one year in the Mountain West, and that's why I really struggled. Because, you know, we, when you look at what Derek Carr at Fresno State or Alex Smith, Utah, some of these guys, Andy Dalton... It was a three, four-year sample size, and I kind of struggled with how you weigh what they accomplished versus what he accomplished, because it's not like Kellen was a one-year wonder or anything like that. He was 50-3 and in his career as a starter. It's just that the vast majority of his career was in the whack. For the sake of transparency, when I started this whole process, I had Kellen Moore at number one. I then battled with myself over whether one year was enough to have him at number one. At one point, I think I dropped him as low as four. I know I definitely had him at three at one point. But I ultimately ended up putting Kellen Moore at one because he was one of the faces of college football for this generation. You know, it was him and Tim Tebow and Sam Bradford when I'm thinking of that like 2008, 2009, 2010. And that was peak Boise. I mean, it's post-2007 Fiesta Bowl, obviously, but at this point, they're a household name. They're opening up against Virginia Tech in 2010. They open against Georgia on the road and beat them in 2011. Welcome to the Mountain West. And while I do struggle with the fact that it was only a one-year sample size in the Mountain West specifically, 
what he did in that 2011 season, it was insane. Boise State went 12 and one. They were as high as fourth in the country. They spent the entire year in the top 10. They lost a 36 35 thriller to TCU team that went 11 and two. Otherwise, they might have been playing for a national title. They had one small slip up against another great program. But other than that, they were basically unstoppable. CSU fans remember that 2011 game where they lost 63 to 13. They had 63 points after three quarters. And at one point, Kellen completed 18 consecutive passes in that game, a conference record that still stands. He just picked defenses apart. He completed 74.3% of his passes that year. There have been a lot of great quarterbacks over the years, but to me, nothing ever felt as helpless from the opposing team's point of view than when you were trying to stop that Kellen Moore-Boise State offense. And so that, combined with his statistical production, the fact that he elevated Boise State in the way that he did, I mean, they spent the entire year in the top 10, that's why he's number one to me. The thing is, you could probably make the same argument for these next three guys. At number two, I've got Derek Carr of Fresno State. Carr's junior and and senior seasons, 2012-2013, were absurd. In 2013, he threw for 5,199 yards. It's a conference record by close to 700 yards. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. His 306 consecutive passes without an interception also a Mountain West record as is his 52 completions in a single game. His 52 touchdowns in 2013 is the most in a single year. He lit it up by any metric you want to look at. And while he did not have the same level of team success that some of these other guys in the top five did, he certainly elevated Fresno State in a major way, him and Devontae Adams. And it was just the fact that you knew what they were going to do. You knew they were going to throw the ball 60-plus times a game. And it didn't matter. You still couldn't stop it. He was going to go down and produce points on you. They were going to throw the ball up and down the field. It just didn't matter. He scored 40.3 points a game in 2013. And if they didn't lose, a 62-52 shootout at San Jose State would have gone a perfect 12-0 in the regular season. Probably got into a BCS Bowl at that point. But I don't think they talk about that group enough or just how explosive and dangerous they were. Really considered putting Derek Carr number one just because his numbers were that crazy. But I think Kellen Moore's legacy just barely gets him the nudge. Just barely. All right, moving on. Number three, we've got Alex Smith, two-year starter at Utah in 2003-2004. He threw 47 touchdowns and seven interceptions over those two years was really dynamic as a runner as well, had 1,072 yards on the ground over those two seasons, 15 rushing touchdowns, including 10 in 2004 when he finished fourth in Heisman voting. You can make a pretty strong argument that that Utah team in 2004 is the greatest Mountain West team of all time. They ran the table, perfect 12-0, beat Pitt in the Fiesta Bowl, but the entire run was just sheer dominance. They won every single game that year by double digits. Every single one. Started the year with a 41-21 thumping of AM, go into Arizona, beat them 23-6, and they really start rolling. Utah State 48-6, 49-35 Air Force. Air Force gave them the best game all year. CSU lost 63-31 that year. 
They beat BYU 52 to 21. I mean, nobody, nobody stood a chance. And Smith was a big part of that. He ran the offense masterfully. The threat to run made it really tough to stop, and they had a good ground game on top of that. Honestly, I think there's an argument to be made that Alex Smith could be one on this list. But the reason he ended up at number three for me, I don't think you feared him individually quite as much as you did Kellen Moore or Derek Carr. You feared Utah as a team for sure, maybe even more so than those other teams. But I do think it's fair, at least to an extent, to say that Smith benefited from being in that system, playing under Urban Meyer. Defensively, they were solid as well, allowed less than 20 points a game that year under Kyle Whittingham. He took over the program the next year. And so I just personally have him just a little bit lower than those other guys. You really can't go wrong with naming any of those three, number one, or even four. At four, I have the winningest quarterback in Mountain West history, Andy Dalton, who had 42 total wins as the starter for TCU, fifth most passing yards in conference history, was the face of the program during the time when they were a national powerhouse. I'll never forget watching TCU take on Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. I was pulling for the Horn Frogs so hard that day. They had the sickest uniforms. They had Tank Carter at linebacker. They had the sweet neck roll with the the armbands and the the visor. Dude was out there looking like every Madden-created player ever. But the reason that I had Dalton a little lower on this list is much like Smith. I do think that he was the product of a system, at least to an extent. You're playing under a brilliant coach. You've got a lot of talent around you defensively. And I guess more than anything, it was just the eye test. To me, Andy Dalton was certainly a big part of their success. There's a reason he was a four-year starter. But he was more of a game manager than a guy that was single-handedly elevating that offense. And I just think that in terms of individual raw talent, I would take each of the three guys above him instead. I hope it's clear that that's not me trying to take shots at Andy Dalton because he genuinely was one of my favorite college football players during that time. We're basically nitpicking here, but that's how you refine these lists. That's how you lock it down. You really do have to. And if you're holding a knife to my back saying pick three quarterbacks, I would take those three guys over him. All right, moving on. Moving on to number five, we've got Max Hall of BYU, he led the Cougars to three consecutive double-digit win seasons. Really good athlete, a guy that could run around and improvise. His 94 touchdown passes is still the league record for the Mountain West. He has the second-most 300-yard passing games of all time. Mountain West history, obviously not all of college football. But he was on this list to me because of the way that he played the game. He was everything that you loved about college football. He played with his heart on his sleeve. He talked trash. There's a great YouTube clip of him ranting about how much he hates the Utah program, hates their fans, hates their players, hates everything about them. And for a young Justin Michael, I just ate that up. I loved everything about it. I grew up idolizing Bradley Van Pelt, who was obviously cut from the same cloth. I wish we had more guys like BVP and Max Hall in the modern era. I understand why that guys don't do it because it's it's basically a career suicide and with the way that everything just gets blown out of proportion on social media, it would cause much more of a storm than would be worth it. But Max Hall was fun. He was a lot of fun. 
even too fun at times. He he took some risks with the ball. I mean, 40 career interceptions. He did have 94 touchdown passes. But the dude was just a winner. He elevated the program. Three consecutive 10-plus win seasons. He went 2-1 and one in bowl games. He put up big numbers. Again, did take some risks with the football. 40 interceptions over his three years at BYU. But you never felt safe when he was on the field, even if you had a lead. I'll always go back to that 2008 thriller, November 1st, 2008. CSU loses at Hughes to BYU 45-42. to One of the most exciting college football games I've ever watched. People remember it because that's when Joey Porter came running into the end zone and chest bumped Gartrell Johnson. But it was one of those games where you just felt like whoever ended up with the ball last was going to win, and that's what ended up happening. BYU had 389 yards to the air that night, five touchdown passes. And the Cougars ultimately ended up winning 45-42 after Max Hall tossed a 17-yard touchdown to Dennis Pitta with 22 seconds remaining. A heartbreaker, but God, that game was fun. Just playmakers on both sides. Austin Colley, who went on to have a nice career for the Colts, he was huge in that game. He had three touchdowns. On CSU's side, you had a couple of touchdowns from Deion Morton. Rayshon Greer had a big game. Those are some fun mid-2000 CSU names. But as as good as CSU was offensively that night, just didn't have an answer for Max Hall. That dude was a bad motherfucker. And I wish we had way more players like him in the modern era. All right, we'll keep this rolling with 6 through 10. But when you get hurt, Backus and Shanker is here to help. Backus and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They have been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. They're free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case. And no fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Bax and Shanker has won over $1 billion for their clients, now with even more locations, serving all of Colorado, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. Bax and Shanker has the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Backus and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases when you weren't at fault, car accident, motorcycle, rideshare, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Backus and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Backus and Shanker wins. Finally, take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn, durable frames, and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all either. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you break or lose your pair, even day one, they're going to send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. You can wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. You can shop the entire collection at their brand new location in the Park Meadows Mall, a full-stop shop for all things Shady Rays. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them free within 30 days. Again, no risk when you shop. They always have your back. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays giving out the best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com, use the code DNVR for 50% off. Two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. All right, keeping it moving at number six, and I'm sure six through 10 are going to really piss people off. As tough as one through five were, six through 10 was so daunting because the the team success of some of these other guys, you know, Alex Smith, when you look at what Utah did, Andy Dalton at TCU, you might be able to pick some holes in their physical abilities, but what they represented with their team, you can't really argue it. They're, they're clearly in the top five. You can argue the order, but the numbers, the team success, I think the five that I gave are, are pretty clear. 
With six through 10, I was all over the place trying to factor in eye test and team success and stats and, and just all of it. It was really challenging. So I'm, I'm saying that for the sake of transparency. I'm sure people will still get pissed. But at number six, I've got Josh Allen from Wyoming. He, in my opinion, was the hardest player on this list to rank because his numbers aren't even close to any of these guys. I also think he's the most physically intimidating college football player I've ever seen in the Mountain West. He just didn't have the talent around him to produce in the same way. I mean, you take Josh Allen off of those Wyoming teams, they're probably a 2-3 win team. But having him out there, his presence alone was significant enough to have them be in the mix. I also understand that the skeptics will point out that Josh Allen at Wyoming was certainly not the Josh Allen that we see in Buffalo. That is true. His progression has been significant. But I was there in person for some of those border wars. 2016, 2017, he single-handedly beat CSU. And some of those throws that he made at Wyoming with no talent on the outside, outside of Tanner Gentry, it was insane. And I just think that if you were to put a quarterback like him with his size, his skill set, his physical abilities on some of these other programs, you put him on Utah in 2004, what does that team do? I mean, he's the closest thing to Cam Newton that we've seen in this conference. There were smarter quarterbacks. There were more efficient quarterbacks. There were more productive quarterbacks. There were more successful quarterbacks. But I'm not sure that there were more physically gifted quarterbacks than Josh Allen. And I fully admit that my personal biases may be coming into play here. This guy tormented me during my college years. Had to watch him rip my heart out. But he individually put more fear in me as a CSU supporter than any player I can think of. It was like trying to tackle an F-250 in the backfield that could throw the ball 80 yards. He was a freak. And that's why he just barely just barely came in over these next two guys. And at number seven, I've got Garrett Grayson. I went back and forth on six, seven, eight quite a bit. I flipped all of these guys. I think there's strong arguments to be made for all of them. Again, it's an imperfect process. But watching Garrett run that pro-style offense under Jim McElwain in 2013 and 2014, it was completely masterful. And I do think it's fair to say that he had way more talent around him than Josh Allen ever did at Wyoming. He got to play behind a terrific offensive line. You got guys like Richard Higgins, Joe Hansley, even Charles Lovett out wide. Allen never once had a guy that came even close to the talent of those receivers. But the numbers that Garrett was able to put up over those two years, it was just wild. Close to 8,000 yards between those two seasons. 55 touchdown passes, only 18 interceptions, led the Rams to their first double-digit win season in well over a decade, took them back to the postseason, was named the 2014 Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year. And beyond the numbers, which are obviously impressive, I think the biggest credit that I can give to Garrett is that he was clutch. Look back at that Boston College game, a Utah State homecoming. And he always elevated the Rams when the lights were brightest. He was a guy that balled out in the border war, played well against CU. He was just one of those guys where when the team really needed to make something happen as a fan, you felt like he was going to come through to you. And I think, that's, I think that's the ultimate testament to a quarterback. How do you feel when you're down by a touchdown with five minutes left and you have the ball on your own 20? 
Do you feel like my guy's going to go down and make something happen? Or do you feel like, ah, this game's over? And you always felt like Garrett was going to make something happen because time and time again, he kept delivering. He's one of the smartest college football players that I've ever been around. I think the fact that Sean Payton liked him enough to draft him in the third round, it speaks to that. And the numbers speak for themselves. I think it's a pretty simple argument for Garrett. And number eight, maybe controversial that he didn't go a little higher, but I've got Brett Rippon of Boise State, 90 passing touchdowns in his career, the second most all-time by a Mountain West quarterback. His 21, 300-yard passing games is the most, however. If you were going purely by the numbers, then Brett Rippon would be in the top five. But a lot like some of these other guys, I do think there's a system argument to be made. He really ran that offense well, especially by the time he's a junior and senior, made good decisions with the football, three-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio in his career. He, he did everything you wanted. The guy produced. The guy consistently won. I just, when it comes to the eye test, he did not scare me in the same way that, you know, Kellen Moore did or some of these other guys we've gone through. And I, I made that same point about Hank Bachmeyer. He was just never a guy that put that much fear in my heart as a college football fan. I will admit that Rippon was more intimidating than going up against Bachmeyer, but physically, he just didn't scare you like a Josh Allen did. I don't think he ran the offense quite as well as a guy like Garrett Grayson or Alex Smith at Utah, and his legacy isn't quite on par with some of those other guys either. I mean, Boise took a little bit of a drop-off. Still won plenty, don't get me wrong, and he had a hell of a career. I'm nitpicking here, but basically one of the ways that I helped decide this was some of these really tough decisions when I went back and forth. Do I have this guy six or seven? Is it this guy or this guy? I thought to myself, if I'm building a team and I can have any of these quarterbacks, who am I taking? And while I would certainly be thrilled to have a quarterback like Rippon running my offense as an offensive coordinator, I would have taken any of those other guys above him. And I understand that's subjective, but this whole thing is subjective. You're just going to have to deal with it. And number nine, we're going Jake Hayner of Fresno State. One of my favorite players of the past couple of years. I was awestruck by him from the first time that I watched him against CSU in 2020. I felt like all game, the Rams had great pressure. They were in his face, Scott Patchen, Manny Jones, and all those guys, Toby. And Hayner was just pulling the rabbit out of the hat, man. He kept pulling plays out of his ass. And then he basically just proceeded to do that for three more years. In 2021 and 2022, I felt like he was the best football player in this conference. He had uh, 53 touchdown passes and 12 picks over those two years. Led the Bulldogs to back-to-back 10-win seasons, including a Mountain West championship in 2022. They beat Washington State handily in the LA Bowl. And while I do fear that there might be some recency bias coming into play with this one, as far as dynamic athletes go, Jake Hayner is one of the most entertaining and exciting players that I can remember coming through the conference. I loved watching that Fresno team these past couple of years. I mean, what he was able to do in some of those big time moments against UCLA, USC, it was was crazy. And the biggest compliment that I can give to him is much like what I hyped up Garrett Grayson for. If you were a better, for instance, and, and had a Fresno State ticket and they were down by a touchdown with less than a minute, if Hayner was getting that ball back, you still felt pretty good. He was as clutch as it gets. The guy was must-watch TV these past couple of years, and 
I wouldn't count him out in the NFL. I really wouldn't. He's obviously undersized, but that dude plays like a champion, and I would kill to have him on my team. All right, wrapping up the list, number 10, I had a couple of different guys that I considered. I almost put Brett Smith of Wyoming. He is kind of like the original Jake Hayner, I would say. More of a threat with his feet than his legs. He had 1,500 rushing yards and 21 rushing touchdowns over three years, but also threw 76 touchdowns. So the dude put up big numbers under Dave Christensen for the pokes. Honestly, guys, his game was so sick. Highly recommend watching his YouTube highlights. But I ultimately went with my heart. I went with Bradley Van Pelt. I put him at number 10 because of the way that he played, the way that he elevated CSU. His raw stats aren't quite as impressive as Brett Smith's were, but we also have to factor in that he was playing a decade earlier stylistically. It was more about the ground and pound, especially under Sonny Lubick. And ultimately, I went with BVP, one, because I love his attitude, much like Max Hall. You know, I I just love a guy that's going to be talking trash, throwing a football off the opponent. I inject that straight into my veins. But at the end of the day, I went with BVP because he was a winner. Three straight winning seasons for the Rams, three straight bowl appearances compared to one winning season for Brett Smith. And while I do think it's fair to point out Van Pelt's supporting cast significantly better than anything Smith ever got to play with, but what it comes down to when it's all said and done is winning. BVP was a winner. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. So anyways, that's why he ended up making the top 10 for me. That's my list. I'm looking forward to hearing everybody tell me why I'm wrong, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. We'll be back with more content throughout the week. Much love, y'all. Peace. Probably never make it when you listening to that right now. I said we on now.